0: Explaining the struggling cyber insurance market for small businesses and the nefarious evolution of adware to malware, the stories and a commentary coming up in the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro.
1: My first assumption that cyber insurance should just be as simple as any type of insurance. So I reached
0: out to my. Uh, existing assurance provider.
1: What I quickly found out is that's
0: not the case. That's Robert Luft. He owns a small IT services company in Cincinnati called Surefire Innovations. This past week at a House Small Business Committee hearing, Luft described the struggle he faced in acquiring cyber insurance. Luft's struggle doesn't surprise cyber insurance and risk attorney Robert Bortnick of the law firm Traub, Lieberman, Strauss, and Shrewsbury. In an interview, Bortnick says the nascent cyber insurance market still lacks a sufficient number of insurance brokers to help businesses identify the right cyber insurance policy.
2: Their brokers are not sophisticated enough to explain it to them and recommend it to them, or they just choose not to brokers, in many cases, don't understand the differences between the policies, and they don't dig down into their clients' businesses to understand what the client's actual insurance needs are, so we run into a problem.
0: Why is there such ignorance among brokers? It's scary. Um, Was cyber scary? It's a new product, a relatively
2: new product. Cyber is scary to people,
0: But the dearth of qualified cyber insurance brokers is just one factor explaining why small businesses lag larger ones in buying cyber insurance. We'll get to those reasons in a moment. First, some data points. Here's Eric Cernak. He's Vice President and Cyber Risk Practice Leader at the reinsurer Munich Re and also testified before the House panel.
2: June report by broker Aon estimated that only 19% of small businesses in the United States had purchased cyber insurance compared to around 75% of certain large companies globally. More insurers have offered cyber insurance over time, from less than a dozen in the early 2000s to more than 70 in 2016. As we see more high-profile cyber events, small businesses are increasingly aware of their exposure. This has prompted the insurance industry to add cyber endorsements to existing small business insurance policies. Still, they're not buying. Participants in a 2016 Hartford Steam Boiler survey listed reasons that they didn't purchase cyber insurance. They didn't need it, cost of coverage, and an application process that is too complicated and confusing. These results suggest that education is key to increasing the take-up rate of cyber insurance by small
0: companies. With more stats, Surefire Innovations, Robert Luft.
1: Small business represents more than 97% of business in the U.S. Alarmingly, in 2015, 43% of all attacks were directed at small business. Despite the growing awareness of cyber-related crimes, 77% of small business owners believe their company is not at risk for cyber attacks. The risk of being a target for cybercrime is high. 42% of small business surveyed by the National Small Business Association reported being a victim of a cyber attack, with the average cost being $32,000 when business banking accounts were hacked and $7,000 on average for small business overall.
0: After a brief message, we'll take a closer look at fundamental problems hindering adoption of cyber insurance by small companies and possible ways to encourage these firms to buy cyber insurance.
3: It's more of a syntax issue. There's no common language to talk about security and risk within these organizations. This is the ISMG Security
0: Report.
1: ISMG's Global Summit Series will be taking place at the Marriott Marquis in New York on August 8th and 9th. Learn more about what to do in the wake of WannaCry. Hear from subject matter experts on ransomware, endpoint detection, malware, and more. Visit events.ismg.io and register today.
0: Welcome back. Damian Gofert is a principal at the Cybersecurity Consultancy RSM and testifying before the House Small Business Committee this past week, he said the lack of common terminology between insurers and prospective policyholders is problematic it's more of a syntax issue there's no common
3: language to talk about security and risk within these organizations so what we see is the insurance companies reaching out to the small businesses trying to put together their policies and packages and understand the risk of the organization they're going to insure and the small business not being malicious they simply don't understand security when they're filling out the packages and trying to communicate how much data they have how do they control it their business partners their systems they don't know how to fill out the packages and applications in the right way so quite often the insurance companies will pick up that policy and not really understand what's underneath the hood until there's a breach, until we come in on the technical side and start touching the environment, quite often the insurance companies really don't understand how bad bad can get. Until we can get to the point where there's sort of a standardized language where the insurance companies know how to rate the risk of a small organization and the the small organization knows how to rate themselves, there's simply just going to be missed expectations on both sides.
0: Regardless of expectations, market forces could help drive small businesses to purchase cyber insurance. Their larger business partners might insist on it. Here's Munich Rees' Eric Cernak.
2: We are starting to see the larger businesses require contractually that these smaller businesses carry some level of cyber insurance. The struggle there is oftentimes they may or may not have an arbitrary dollar amount in terms of the limit they want carried. And they also uh, do a, a fairly poor job of uh, identifying the exact coverages they want those folks to, to, to carry.
0: But to get more small businesses to buy cyber insurance will require a change in attitude. As we heard early in this report, many small businesses don't think hackers would target them. But as RSM's Damien Getford explains, they buy into the misconception how most cyber breaches occur. In a lot of cases, that operates off the mindset Like what you
3: see in the news of that there's hacking crews that are out targeting your specific organization and going after you. A lot of small businesses, when they're trying to consider their risk, they don't feel that they're at risk because we're too small, we're too new, no one's shooting at us. It misses the point that the vast majority of breaches are not targeted and you can't plan for that risk. If you're plugged into the internet, there's sort of the background radiation of the internet that's constantly grinding through looking for anybody that happens to be vulnerable and it might happen to be you. And so a lot of organizations, when we first sit down to do risk mapping with them, they're shocked with that realization that they're not targeted. They simply were a target of opportunity on the network. But don't forget there is a permanent residual risk that you simply can't excuse yourself from because you're too small or you're not in that industry. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on
0: ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Beijing police have nabbed 11 people, charging them with developing and distributing malicious adware known as Fireball. But Fireball is not traditional adware. To discuss the nefarious evolution of adware, I'm joined by Data Breach Today executive editor Matthew Schwartz. Hi, Matt. Hi, Eric. What makes a Fireball different from traditional forms of
4: adware? Traditional adware is a program which will typically display advertisements on your computer, or it might redirect your search requests to other search engines than you intended, or to advertising websites, it might collect your marketing details. If you can put up with that, that's adware, and it's typically gotten into the hands of users in exchange for something, freemium software, or software that has other tools or apps bundled into it. And when you install these, you may be installing a whole raft of other different kinds of software programs. What's different about Fireball is that instead of just installing adware, the digital marketing agency behind it, which is based in Beijing, allegedly also gave itself the ability to install anything it wanted and to do anything it wanted on the PC. Now, that's not adware. That's malware.
0: How extensive is the reach of Fireball and who's being targeted?
4: It's interesting that the advertising agency advertised its own ability to reach more than 300 million unique users around the globe to help others push their advertisements to these people. Security firm Checkpoint reported that it found Fireball installed on more than 250 million PCs. Wow. Yeah, extensive. This is all alleged, but what looks to be the case is that this Chinese firm was tricking people into installing adware. that also included some pretty sophisticated browser hijacking malware and mechanisms. And then they would redirect users' PCs to various websites for the purpose of click fraud. And click fraud being... Click fraud might seem like a victimless crime. It describes generating fake page views and clicks, but it is defrauding people who are attempting to get their advertisements in front of others. It's also taking control of people's PCs for illicit purposes. Now, a lot of the click fraud gangs are banking on people if they even notice that their PC is doing something weird, not doing anything about it, or not having the technical skill to figure out how to get rid of it. How is this Chinese company
0: profiting from this scheme?
4: The firm, which is called Rayfotech, would theoretically have profited via click fraud. What Chinese police have disclosed is that the firm in 2016 appeared to make about $12 million in profits. Click fraud can be extremely profitable. If you are lodging ads on behalf of people who purchase advertising, then for every click that you get, you get some money. If you can create a system where you're creating fake clicks, you can generate cash for yourself because people will be paying you to have placed their advertisements. What they don't know is in a click fraud case, it is actually 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 real people clicking on a website, it is malicious software, the equivalent of a bot. I open up a browser and behind the scenes, I don't even know it, but the browser is going out and clicking on various websites. Each of those clicks gets recorded and the company that has facilitated those clicks gets money. And it's not clear how much of the $12 million earned by Rayfotech last year came from this click fraud, but it could be a significant portion of those profits. Who was hit hardest by this scheme? By Checkpoint's count, there were 250 million PCs worldwide infected with the Fireball malware. The most infections, 10%, were in India and about the same amount in Brazil, followed by Mexico, Indonesia... And the United States. This adware was distributed in multiple ways, bundled with other software. That's probably the main way that it spread. In exchange for premium software or free versions of software, people were allowing this adware onto their computers. Other ways it was spread included fake search engines. It appears that Rayfotech was creating fake search engines, for example, to download free movie trailers. And instead, it was pushing this malicious software at others. In addition, Rayfotech made its own software called DLWIF, and Mustang Browser, which appeared to be distributing this. And security researchers say it appears to be affiliated with, or possibly the same as, a company called Elax, which also distributed adware, including Rayfotex adware. It looks like the appetite for free software, especially in countries like India and Brazil, led to those countries having the greatest number of these adware infections. This sounds as targeted
0: toward individuals. Is this something enterprises should be concerned about as well?
4: Absolutely. Any system that has this adware or malware installed on it can be remotely accessed by the malware authors. There's no signs that they did or did not access people's PCs in this manner, but anything stored on the PC, so banking credentials, credit card information, people's medical files, patents, business plans, Anything of a salacious nature that they might not wish to see get exfiltrated and sold or posted on the dark net. All this stuff is at risk when you give access to software like this. This is a big concern. Enterprises should be blocking this kind of adware just outright. Adware's long lived in gray territory. There have been some lawsuits in the past from adware providers attempting to claim that they've been defamed by antivirus engines that forcibly remove their wares. The antivirus firms have had to be a little careful in the past, they've created definitions of adware that say, okay, if a user knows it's there, if it's clear about what it's doing, if the user has accepted the end user licensing agreement, we're going to call it adware. We don't like it. We might flag it, but we won't nuke it. In the case of the RayfoTech, it's clearly malware. It's doing things that it doesn't tell users that it is doing. And it also includes capabilities like reading any data, for example, on the PC, which clearly cross a line. If it were up to me, would I install any adware on my computer never. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Eric. Finally,
0: let's return to our opening segment on cyber insurance. During the past week's cyber insurance hearing before the House Small Business Committee, the following statistic was repeatedly voiced. After a cyber attack, 60% of small business is out of business within, within six months. That's a powerful statistic that led Surefire Innovations Robert Luff to add. I think that's the greatest call for action from a small business perspective. But is that data point true? The source of the often repeated stat isn't known, though it's often cited to a study published by the National Cybersecurity Alliance in 2011 or 2012. Earlier this year, I reached out to the Alliance's Executive Director, Michael Kaiser, who said that data point is not from his organization. Even if that stat is true, and I have my doubts, There's no proof that data breaches are the cause for the business failures. As likely, if not more so, are factors such as poor management, insufficient capital, lack of planning, overexpansion, and bad location, to name a few. The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics has been tracking the fate of small businesses for over two decades, going back to a time when cyber was a term most people never heard of. Businesses always struggled to stay afloat. BOS stats over the years show that on average, 20% of businesses go belly up after one year. After five years, half of those companies no longer exist. Plenty of compelling arguments can be made why businesses should strengthen their IT security and reduce risk without employing alarmist statistics, especially those that appear in the ether to make their point. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time.